brain here. I lost my bearings as far as where Ruth is. That's not good. <laughs> yes, I know. I, I know I was just talking and trying to do it at the same time. It's harder and harder to do. Ruth chapter 3. So far, we have talked about, uh, in the story of Ruth, her the ruin, the resolve, the return, the reaping, the recompense, the report, the rest, and now tonight we get to the romance. So if you, have, uh, if you like the book of Ruth for the romance, we're finally getting there a little bit uh, thicker. But of course, as I talked about before, we want to pull out the spiritual lessons that we have throughout, the, throughout this book, which are many. But uh, talking about romance, I thought this was, uh, you could put a little smile on our face tonight maybe, the truth about romance according to kids, uh, kids who have come up with these opinions. How does a person decide who to marry? Callie, age nine, said you flip a nickel, heads you stay with him, and tails you try the next one. Uh, Alan, age 10, I don't know if it's this Alan or not, you got to find somebody, it might be you, from what this says, so I don't know. You got to find somebody who likes the same stuff. Like if you like sports, she should like that you like sports, and she should keep the chips and dip coming. Amen? Amen. <laughs> no person, Kristen, age 10, no person really decides before they grow up who they're going to marry. God decides it all way before, and then you find out later who you're stuck with. That's, <laughs> that's, that's what some of us believed in Bible college. That's why... We didn't want to. We didn't want to surrender to missions. <laughs> we we're afraid of who we'd get stuck with. Oh my goodness! All right, uh, Cam, age ten, on concerning the proper age to get married. Twenty-three is the best age because then you have known the person forever by then. Uh, Freddie, age six, no age is good to get married at. You got to be a fool to get married. He'll change his mind. He's only six. He'll get it. Uh, how can a stranger tell if two people are married? Eddie, age six, says married people usually look happy to talk to other people. <laughs> That's terrible. De Derek, age eight, you have to guess based on whether they seem to be yelling at the same kids. That's how you can tell if two people are married. Uh, what do you, this is one of my favorites, what do you think your mom and dad have in common? Lori, age eight, both don't want no more kids. Amen. <laughs> Probably. Your fault there, Lori. Uh, the great debate, is it better to be single or married? Anita, age nine, it's better for girls to be single, but not boys. Boys need someone to clean up after them. That's pretty true, too. But anyway, romance. The romance between Ruth and Boaz uh, started pretty much when they first saw each other, as we saw when Ruth ends up in his field, and he asks whose damsel this was, and, and the romance has grown, and since Naomi has instructed Ruth to... Uh, do things according to Jewish custom to approach Boaz. And, and in our last message, we looked at Naomi's instructions to Ruth and Ruth's promise to obey them, whether or not they made sense. Uh, the, 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 the idea that Ruth understood all that, you know, she's from Moab. Uh, these weird, and they, they are weird. We'll look at it a little bit tonight again, but some of the customs might seem weird to us. They might have seemed weird to Ruth, but she was going to do what it took and going to obey. In fact, she said in verse uh, 6 of chapter 3, she did according to all that her mother-in-law bade her. And it's a good thing for us when we obey the Lord, even when we don't always understand the purposes behind the instructions. 
So let's start tonight, Ruth 3 and verse number 7. We'll pick up kind of where we left off. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of corn and she came softly and uncovered his feet and laid her down. Remember, that was what she was supposed to do. Uh, stay away, stay clear until he falls asleep. And then when he falls asleep, come and uh, uncover his feet and lay down. And uh, again, doesn't really make sense to us, but this was that custom and it meant something. Verse 8, and it came to pass at midnight the man was a, that the man was afraid. This is Boaz. He turned himself, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. And he said, Who art thou? And she answered, I am Ruth, thine handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. And he said, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning, insomuch as thou followest not young men, whether rich or whether poor, or rich. Father, we pray you'd help us in the next few minutes here uh, as we unpack this. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, we see the advantage here, or the advancing of the, the romance. Uh, the the uh, romance of Boaz and Ruth, it needed to advance from simple feelings to action. And this is kind of where uh, Naomi got a little involved. And, and she was going to help Ruth make some of the right choices here, give her instructions on how to bring it about. Uh, it took patience on Ruth's part. Look at verse 7. When Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry. By the way, I don't believe this is from drinking, uh, uh, from getting drunk or anything like that. He was happy from the harvest. It was a time of rejoicing. It was a time of celebration. That's what I believe that's talking about there. He went to lay down at the end of the heap of corn and she came softly and uncovered his feet and laid her down. Now Naomi had told Ruth specifically not to do it until this time. And this waiting would would require some patience, you know. You, I remember when when this was kind of, and we'll see in a minute, this was kind of akin to a proposal uh, because it was on the woman, we'll see in Deuteronomy, it was on the woman to to initiate the Leveret marriage procedure. So uh, this this would have taken some patience as she has to wait out the evening until he goes to sleep, could have been late. And uh, so it, sometimes it takes patience to wait for the right time for things. And Lack of patience can spoil things, especially in a relationship like this. So Ruth waited until the evening's activities were completed, and then she came boldly, as was the custom, but uh, properly, obviously, but she came boldly only at the right time. Patience paid great dividends, as patience always does, but it is very difficult, as we all know. Somebody put it this way, patience is a virtue, possess it if you can, found seldom in a woman, never in a man. That's uh, patience. I think that that's probably somewhat some truth in that. Uh, it's not always easy, but Ruth had it. And in Ruth's case, it was extremely important because patience is especially important in choosing a mate, young people. Amen? This is a, something we want to give the right kind of time to, and rushing something like that can give and lead to a lifetime of misery. So those are, who are in a hurry will usually make big mistakes they regret later and so both Ruth and Boaz here, they exercised patience. They needed, uh, they took ample time to learn of each other, each other's character, make sure that the marriage was proper. Their patience, I believe, is one of the reasons the marriage was so blessed. In fact, it was so blessed that it would bring about uh, a son that would be in the line of Christ. Then there's the prudence in it as well. She came softly, uncovered his feet, and laid her down. She was very prudent in her actions here. We see shows two things here in, in the text. She came softly, she came submissively. She 
She came softly means she came cautiously, uh, not to disturb Boaz, probably other people sleeping around there as well. Again, try to form a picture of what was going on here. Uh, that, that which she was about to do did not need an audience at this time. Okay, This was something private between them. Some things in life, especially important things, don't need a lot of noise and publicity accompanying them. And that's kind of a lost art today, isn't it? I mean, social media, people get on social media and there's way too much uh, information on there and uh, bothersome sometimes. Fights, breakups, revenge-like behavior happening publicly right there on social media. And that's a, that's, I don't think that's to the public's good. I think that is uh, to our detriment. Character knows better and knows when to keep things private. If something lacks attention, it does not mean it lacks value. And today, that's almost the thinking in, in public and social media. If it's got any value, it needs to be public, and that's not always the case. She came submissively, uncovered his feet, and laid her down, following the custom of the times as instructed by Naomi here. Uh, the compliance to custom is very important because this was a delicate situation. It needed to be done just right, and she's following it to, a, to, a, to the letter, what Naomi said. Uh, Ruth was uh, careful to follow this instruction. She might not have understood the instructions, but she obeyed them. Again, we talked about that lesson quite a bit last time. Uh, we may not at times fully understand why God wants certain things at certain times. Well, we heard a lot of testimonies. I was uh, blessed to spend a, a day and a half at the uh, church conference, a planting conference in Sioux Falls, and, and we had nine church planters present their ministries. Of course, our church took a part in supporting that. Uh, we gave uh, 1400 was our part of the offering, and uh, altogether we gave $40,350 uh, to church planters, not, not our church, but all the churches in, in combined. So it was a blessing being there and to hear the testimony. And, and just right along this line, uh, some, some of the guys who were called to start a church and having a good, good ministry where they're at or a good job where they're at, everything seemed to be going great and didn't quite understand and then how the Lord uses them uh, to start churches in different areas. So, obey, obey. The perplexity, verse 8 and 9. It came to pass at midnight, the man was afraid and turned himself, and behold, a woman lay at his feet, and he said, Who art thou? And now, imagine, <laughs> Boaz was startled when he woke up. Imagine waking up, and ha, there's a woman laying at your feet. I mean, that would be a little bit startling right there. It was... Not that Boaz didn't understand these strange marriage customs, but he might not have been expecting at that time Ruth's presence at his feet. Uh, the cause for Boaz's alarm really uh, was understandable. It involved grain and a girl, really. Uh, the grain part uh, would be his first concern. He's there to protect it. And when he wakes up, uh, is the, that was the habit of farmers in those days, to, to stay there to protect what was being threshed. And when he awoke, things were different. You know, you know have you ever done that, you wake up, don't know exactly what's going on, but something's not right. Well, the something not right is that there's a human being at his feet, but he might take a second to figure that out, and, and uh, no, no wonder he was afraid or frightened or what's going on here, uh, somebody trying to steal the grain or something. But then he discovered Ruth at his feet, and his concern changed from grain to a girl. Uh, the fact that Boaz was alarmed really shows his good character. Uh, did not know at first who she was. Remember, it's dark. That's why he asked who she was, but this shows his excellent character that he's concerned about appropriateness. Uh, this, this is what people will be concerned about. And those people that are concerned about appropriateness of action 
will live a much more holy life than those who don't care. First uh, Thessalonians 5.22, abstain from all appearance of evil. Sometimes we need to put focus on that word appearance. And we as Christians are really good at demanding our rights to do something and not caring how it appears. That does matter. We need to avoid the appearance of evil. I've given... I won't bore you again with the illustration, but I think it's one of my favorite memories of my grandfather who, who uh, found those wine bottles and, and uh, sterilized them and put his own juice in them. And we said, you, you know, you can't drink out of wine bottles, so he covers them with paper bags. Uh, to, uh, and, and uh, you know, we tried to explain to him, he wasn't doing anything wrong per se, but there's an appearance of evil we have to avoid. And you don't want to walk around town with a wine bottle in a paper bag. You know, that's, a, that's, a, that's something that Christians... But, but we ought to think about those things and, and where we go, what we do, what we say, how does it appear to other people? Uh, this, it's something that, again, is kind of a lost art today. If impropriety doesn't concern you, then you'll lose your testimony at some point. You want to be careful with that. So, verse 9, he says, Who art thou? He doesn't yell it. People are sleeping. Probably whispers it. Who in the wide world are you laying at my feet? She answers, I am Ruth, thine handmaid. And we see the petition here. Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. The preface here to the petition is, I am Ruth, thine handmaid. Before she made her petition, obviously she, she uh, identifies herself. And she calls herself Boaz's handmaid. Listen to humility in that. That's a great way for her. She doesn't presume to identify herself as his special friend as of yet. Doesn't call herself his girlfriend or anything like that, but his handmaid. Uh, that humility reflects her good manners that we've seen all throughout the book uh, of, of Ruth here. So then she says, uh, spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid. Now again, this is nowhere near our marriage proposal. Right? We, don't, we don't go about it this way, but allow for different customs. That's what was go going on here. This is Figurative language here. Uh, not so much a protective covering of the threshing floor, but figuratively speaking, it was a protective covering of marriage for Ruth's life. Let me read you a statement by McGee. When she asked Boaz to spread his skirt over her, and when she called him a near kinsman, she was using a figure of speech that was tantamount to the acceptance of a marriage proposal. Now, if you go into Ezekiel chapter 16, you'll also see uh, this marriage intent in the skirt symbol. Now when I passed by thee and looked upon thee, behold, thy time was a time of love, so I spread my skirt over thee and covered thy nakedness. Yes, I swear unto thee, and entered into a covenant with you, saith the Lord God, and thou becamest mine. That idea there, uh, the aspect of marriage in spreading the skirt over the woman is found in the little tra literal, literal translation. If you take uh, the original language, and it basically says, spread thy wings over thine handmaids. Uh, kind of illustrates like a, a mother hen or mother bird spreading its wings to it over its young to protect them. So Ruth uses this language to Boaz, and it's essentially a marriage proposal. It's essentially what she's coming at here. And uh, this is the, by the way, remember what we talked about earlier in this study about the rest. Uh, God, Naomi talked about there being rest and how rest equaled marriage for a woman in that day. And so this was all part of that. Then she goes on, thou art a near kinsman. The purpose here to notify Boaz that he as a kinsman had a duty to marry Ruth. The word kinsman is the key to understanding 
the purpose of the petition from her part here. The reason that Ruth, not Boaz, initiated this proposal is because leveret marriage was incumbent on the widow, as I mentioned. Deuteronomy chapter 5, 7 through 10 talks about that. So the widow was to pursue the fulfillment of the kinsman redeemer obligation. And that's what, that's why she was doing this here at Naomi's, uh, on her orders or her instruction. If she wanted a husband, she had a personal responsibility. Too many people today uh, do not look at their responsibility. They only look what they want, and they sit hoping that God will bring it. But uh, you don't expect to sit and do nothing and gain a Boaz in your blessing. You're going to have to uh, exercise your responsibilities if you want to gain divine blessings. Amen? So uh, we, we have a lot of that in Christianity today. In fact, I'm kind of working on a message or... Uh, writing something, maybe maybe it'll be a booklet, I don't know, but the consumer Christian mentality is just, it's just crazy today how that is so prevalent in our churches. And uh, it, it's not about, uh, you know, here I sit, God, load me up. Uh, we, we have a duty to do, we have responsibilities as Christians, and that's what we ought to be about them. I'll give you an example. One of, the, one of the verses in the Bible that I believe is misinterpreted and misused is uh, Philippians 4.19, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. That verse is not for the whole world. That verse is not for all Christians. You have to look in the context and you find out that verse was specifically given to people who gave sacrificially to the needs that Paul was dealing with there. And, and, that's, and so Paul, in response of sacrificial giving... My God shall supply all your needs. And we have people who just claim that verse, you know, and people, I've heard people give lost people that verse. Not, not for everybody. So God's promises are not for the stingy. Uh, God's promises are, God doesn't bring his blessings on a silver platter to the lazy and irresponsible. We need to remember that. I, I like how one person put it, God, yeah, but God feeds the birds. He does. Doesn't put the food in their nests. They still got to go out and hustle and get it themselves, and pick it up, and work at it, so uh, it's a good thing for us to remember. All right, Ruth's request to Boaz to be her kinsman redeemer pictures how a sinner should come to Christ. Ruth came to Boaz humbly, submissively, and expectantly in seeking the kinsman redemption, redemption here. Sinners should come to Christ the same way, humbly, she came to Boaz and called herself the handmaid. Sinners must come humbly to Christ, uh, for they are lowly sinners. We must, in humility, put our place ourselves at the feet of Christ for redemption as well. Secondly, submissively. The words, thine handmaid, don't only talk about humility, but also submission to Boaz. The wife of, uh, is to be the helpmeet to the husband, Genesis 1.18, or 2.18, uh, something that uh, also is a dying idea today. But when seeking salvation from Christ, sinners need to be in the mind to serve the Savior. You remember what the Apostle Paul said? The first thing he said after he met Jesus, Lord, what wilt thou have me to do? He was, uh, folks are unwilling to serve. God makes you wonder at the authenticity of their salvation. We ought to be willing to serve. We're saved to serve. We're not saved to be served. Amen. And so, I've got verses all throughout, but 1 Thessalonians 1, 9, for they that show themselves what manner of entering into that we had unto you, and how you turned to God from idols to serve 
the living and true God. Hebrews 9.14, How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Then also expectantly, not only humbly, submissively, but expectantly, thou art a near kinsman. Here, Ruth shows her faith in Boaz to redeem her from the woes of being single, unlike what Bart said in the beginning in our uh, the eight-year-old or the six-year-old in his examples. Uh, there were some woes in being single, especially for a lady in the age of Ruth. So because Boaz is a goal, G-O-E-L, original word, relative, he can perform the kinsman-redeemer marriage. Sinners need to come to Christ as well, recognizing that he is the one and the only one that can redeem them from the woes of sin. Uh, there is no other way, and so we need to recognize that. Now, once Ruth identified herself and told the reason for being at the feet of Boaz, uh, she needed some assurance. We see the advancing and then the assurance. The, uh, he assured her immediately he's of the same mindset. Again, you marry, this is a risk. She's putting it all out there. And uh, this is uh, something that would have been probably kind of a scary thing for her to do, especially if she is unused to the woman taking, uh, you know, Making, taking the initiative like this happened here in the Leverett marriage. We note three things here. The character of his praise. In his praise we see three things, I should say. Blessed be thou of the Lord. Ruth, uh, Boaz, I, I'm sorry, desired that Ruth would be blessed of God for seeking him for her husband. This is a way of uh, saying, or Boaz saying that Ruth is worthy of divine praise. And God's praise is the highest praise. That's what we ought to be after. Now, a study was done by a psychologist, Dr. Henry Goddard, a number of years ago, on the energy levels in children. He used an instrument called the ergograph. No idea what that is, but that's what he used. He found that when tired children were given a word of praise or encouragement, the epigraph showed an immediate spike surge of new energy. When they were criticized and discouraged, the epigraph showed their physical energy doing a nosedive. Now, these results probably are true for adults, too. We all like praise. We all like to be praised. And other people praise us. It makes us feel real good. And by the way, we ought to be, we ought to praise people where praise is deserved. You know, be, be generous with it. If somebody does something and and you appreciate that, show your appreciation for it. We all like praise, but God's praise is what we ought to seek the most. That's what's more important. If we make man's praise as our primary goal, put that especially put that above God's praise, we'll get ourselves in trouble real quick. Got to have God's praise as our primary goal. And uh, a lot of praise man gives is not much value in God's, God's eyes anyway. So uh, we should live a life that will gain God's commendation. Amen? And uh, Boaz said that Ruth lived that kind of life there.